Welcome to the Service Management Leadership Podcast with Jeffrey Tiefertiller. Hello, everyone. Jeffrey Tiefertiller back with another Service Management Leadership Podcast. We have a great guest, Joseph DeConti, Senior Director, Enterprise Service Management, PepsiCo. Joe, how are you today? Good, Jeffrey. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing today? I am awesome. All fired up as usual. So you have an interesting role. It's Senior Director of Enterprise Service Management. It's a new role for you, relatively. Everything's relative nowadays. And so what appealed to you? And so I'm, I'm, I'm open-ending this to you because I, I really enjoy this topic, this story. So uh, I'll, I'll turn it over to you for this. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, yeah, it's, it's relatively new in the sense that I've, um, I've only been at PepsiCo for a little over a month now. Um, and previously I was at Red Hat um, Technology Company and I was running the IT service management team over there, which really evolved into the enterprise service management kind of framework and practice. Um, and I was um, helping to steer that ship while I was there and uh, opportunity presented itself at PepsiCo and <clears throat> it seemed like a really good one. Uh, so I decided to pursue it. And so, yeah, <clears throat> it is a little different though. Um, enterprise service management at Red Hat, I was inside of IT, um, trying to work it from that perspective. Now at PepsiCo, I'm actually a part of the global business services area. So living inside of uh, what IT typically calls the business, um, um, really being the business owner for enterprise service management. And um, definitely, definitely um, um, some pluses to this. Um, um, being in the business side, running the enterprise service management, because you really get a chance to um, work with your other stakeholders that historically you're looking at it from a, a technology service delivery perspective. And so now being in the business side, I get to focus more on, you know, what are the business capabilities that we're enabling? What are the outcomes that we're trying to achieve from a business perspective? Obviously partnering very, very, very closely with IT um, and in my world, my IT counterparts are even my business partners because IT service management becomes one of my business partners in enterprise service management. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a unique perspective, but it's one that I think was just kind of a natural evolution when you think about service management. Um, when you think about the associate experience that we're trying to create, knowing that IT delivers services, HR delivers services, facilities deliver services, marketing, um, procurement. And so I think it just kind of became a natural evolution as companies were thinking about agility, scalability, um, and really focused on creating real world experiences for associates. Um, there was this kind of inflection point where all of the businesses kind of realized we, we essentially do the same thing just from our different functional areas and how much better of a of a solution would we deliver if we were thinking about how we could do that together. And so I'm really excited about the opportunity of PepsiCo and it's, um, it's in its early stages, uh, but it's, it's, it's going to be really fun to be able to kind of put, um, you know, my print on it and, and help guide it um, in, in partnership with the great team that we already have. It's, uh, and so I appreciate this viewpoint because it's my belief that in the future we'll see more of this because IT owning, IT uh, enterprise service management seems a little myopic. It seems a little that you won't get the full holistic view. And so if we push in a little bit, 
you know, your HR business customers, your facilities business customers, marketing business customers, even IT, they all have different needs, right? They all have different outcomes that they're trying to get from, and your group helps facilitate those. Does that seem like it's uh, somewhat correct? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, it's, and we're actually in these really good conversations right now because <clears throat> what we're realizing, we're realizing is that when, um, whether it is HR or whether it is IT, whether it's facilities marketing or any other examples that are out there, there are these kind of certain processes that we do regardless of, you know, functionally where they're coming from. And, you know, each function tends to have their own language around it. Like, for example, HR talks about what they do in terms of cases. Uh, facilities usually talks about it in terms of work orders, IT, you know, incident, problem. Um, but when you really kind of break down the language of the function and think about the language of the customer, really we're just talking about support and, you know, um, delivering the service or fulfillment of the service. And, and so that's what's been really unique is that we've been able to, to take the language that is typically functional, typically specific to that area, and start to really break down the walls and talk about, you know, how do we surface this in a way that is more real world consumer experience um, in the way that we talk to our customer. Uh, and the unique part about it is that we also find that there are these other processes that we really all do the same, which is, you know, intake, demand management, capacity management. And so when we sit back and start to really look at running our services end to end, we realize that it's not just um, you know, the delivery and support of the services, but it's all these other things that we have to do to run our functional areas. And now the question becomes, you know, can we essentially provide some type of a framework or standard around that? So that way we can create, you know, better agility. We can create consistency across what we're doing. Uh, when we start to look at the measures of, of what we do, you know, from a customer engagement perspective, we're actually looking at those the same way. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty exciting and it's really good because I think it, it takes the pressure off of IT, right? I think one of the things that was really unique when I was at Red Hat is that I was running the development team. I was running the ITSM team. Um, I also had the IT, a little bit of the IT operations management team from a CMDB change perspective configuration. Um, and the hard part that I was running into is I had to balance all of those. And I also had to balance the fact that HR was asking for these things and that, um, you know, facilities and all the other teams that we had brought on, you know, to the framework that we had created. And the nice part is that now that I'm kind of enterprise service management underneath the global business services, I get to take more of an agnostic role in this, right? I get to say, okay, well, I do think that there are certain processes that enterprise service management should own and help you know define at an enterprise level how those are going to be done across all the other functional areas each of the functional areas can still own you know their respective spaces case management incident problem things like that um, but it takes the burden off of it um, to not only have to deliver the technology manage the demand manage the prioritization because now you have a business um, that is agnostic of all the other departments really helping to facilitate those conversations. And that's really what ESM is gonna be about. It's about being that facilitation, bringing everybody to the table um, and helping to create that unified uh, direction, vision and strategies around how you actually uh, provide the best experiences for your associate. Right, and that includes everything from met metrics and measures, you know, like 
how do we standardize that? So I, given your different business constituents, I, I want to throw some topics out to you just on like how they differ among them. Because what I have found is if it's an IT centric view, these are very easy conversations. But if you have different business customers, it becomes a little more difficult. Right. So we think of government's model, right? Because your ESM should look governance wise, similar for your HR to your facilities, because HR needs governance, facilities needs governance, of course, your IT org and your others do as well. How does that look in your organization having those different governance models, if you would, now rolled up into one? Yeah, no, it's uh, <clears throat> what's funny is, is, is that most people's governance models are probably pretty similar when yes. you look at that, right? So it doesn't matter if it's HR or facilities, you know, procurement, marketing, even IT, you know, everybody typically has kind of that same triangle look, right? That says, you know, here's who sets the you know, vision, the direction, you know, the next level down sets the strategy, you know, the, the bottom level is kind of the execution arm. Um, and, and that's what's interesting is as we're going through this, we're, we're looking at everybody's kind of governance models and saying, okay, how do we align these together from an enterprise perspective, right? How, and how are we, you know, really empowering the teams to be able to make decisions? It's, it is one of the things that is pretty exciting about the work that we're doing at PepsiCo is PepsiCo really is trying to move towards you know an agile model of running the business and and it adopted that um a while ago and they really are they're leveraging the safe model and how they do that and so we're going to incorporate that because since it is still and it's unique in enterprise service management it is my technology delivery partner right but they're also my business partner because the itsm side is my business partner the it operations management side is my business partner um the services side of IT is really my business partner, but then the, you know, technology development team um, is my technology partner that's delivering the solutions that we're looking for from a technology perspective. And so um, what is good is that everybody kind of has had a, had a governance model already in place. We have a defined delivery model in that we're going to use safe. And so now it's a matter of, you know, normalizing across those things and saying, okay, how are we doing this? And the great part is, is the governance models are still being very structured, very, very similar. The difference is in that top layer of the governance model, now I'm asking the CIO, right? The CHRO um, to come up with strategies together, right? As opposed to coming up with their own IT strategy on how they deliver services, HR to come up with their own strategy, um, how they deliver their services. Right? We're having conversations at an executive level to create alignment there, which makes it easier to create alignment at the next level and makes it easier to create alignment at the next level because we know one of the biggest challenges that every organization has is what are our priorities and what can we do based, you know, what can, how do we meet the demand based on the capacity we have? And, and when you start to look at that across the functions and not in siloed approaches, you can now say, well, how do we focus on the most important things uh, based on the associate experience that we want to create? Um, great part is PepsiCo was already thinking that way before I even got here, um, which is which is fantastic for me. It's not something that I had to convince them of. It's something that they realized that they needed, which is part of why they're bringing on enterprise service management. Yep, and so also it saves money, right? One governance model saves a lot of money, and it gets those expectations because your same players that have to be governed now have one model instead of fifteen. So let's also talk chargebacks so now chargebacks are 
somewhat normalized, right? Because everybody knows what to expect. Uh, escalation, similar. Focus on customer experience, because now we, in this model, so you can jump in on any of these, but now on the customer experience, it should be expected the same across each, not we have higher for IT and lower for marketing or vice versa or any of that, right? Yeah, and, and the great part about it, and that's, and that's one of the advantages, I think, when you start to think about enterprise, when you think about service management enterprise level and you start to actually create that as kind of a business within your organization is because all those things you listed, you start to be able to run those in a more efficient way, right? So when we think of, to your point, when we think about chargeback, you know, part of the advantages of moving to an enterprise service management model is that you're looking for efficiencies across these um, shared processes, right? So do we really need this many people? Do we really need this much technology, right? Or can we start to standardize on certain technologies that are enabling these processes and providing solutions to the services teams in a consistent fashion, um, which ultimately, you know, reduces the cost that goes out to um, the business. Uh, same thing from the associate experience, right? Now I'm not, you know, one team, when we think about kind of the, the channel strategy or the engagement layer to the associate, you know, IT is not introducing a real-time chat capability and HR is saying, well, we don't want to do a real-time chat. Like we're having those conversations before we actually decide to say, what are the experiences that we want to create for the associate? Because we've created that governance structure and we're looking for, you know, what are the right things to be doing at the right time? I think the great part about PepsiCo is it's a very opportunity rich organization um, I was fortunate that Red Hat was also a very opportunity-rich organization. And so the challenge was never around finding things to do. We always had plenty of things to do. The question was, are we working on the right things that add the most value for the organization? And I think that's where a shared enterprise model comes into place because it really enables those conversations, I think, a little bit differently that typically happen in silos. Yeah, and it's shared vision. And, and I don't want to get off on this too much, but you get into... Uh, SLAs, OLAs. I mean, I'm I'm saying this for our listeners, right? The, you know, if you're in marketing and the SLA, SLA, OLA conversation looks very different. Especially, I think of you having IT as a customer and as a delivery partner. SLA, OLA looks a little different. Well, and that's and that's a great example, right? So when we think about, <clears throat> so first off, you know, to me, there's always the ultimately you want to get to a place where you're measuring actionable things. Right. And, um, you know, one of the conversations that people talk about pretty often is this, you know, concept of an internal NPS score. Right. Um, and I and I actually uh, um, at Red Hat, we were playing around with that idea and we were pursuing that idea. And we actually decided to pivot away from that. And the reason we decided to pivot away from that was because we realized NPS was really, you know, rating um, you against something else out there like what. Would, it, would a customer recommend this over something else, right? Well, the reality is in inside of an organization, it's not like associates ultimately have a choice. It's not like they get to choose a different 401k plan. It's not like they get to choose, you know, typically a different laptop other than what IT gives them. Um, and so we kind of realized NPS didn't give us actionable things. And so we, um, I, had, I had a phenomenal team and I'm gonna give this, all this credit to the team that was doing this, you know, they really asked the question of, well, why don't we track effort score, right? Because that's more of an indicator of something that we can action against, or why don't we track, you know, employee sentiment score, right? How did it make them feel when they were receiving services? So we actually started looking at those things. 
which then, as we started with, okay, those are the things we want to look at, <clears throat> it gave us the opportunity to normalize across some of the SLAs, because when we get into the SLAs, a great example is, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, is that, you know, some organizations, when, you know, if there's an incident that's, so IT is a perfect example, when incidents open, you know, some people stop the incident clock once they've responded to the, you know, employee and it's sitting in the employee's queue and the employee might not look at that for a day or two, but we're not tracking that time. But then you might have HR who does, right? HR says, hey, we want to know total open time of a case. And so what this, what this does is it forces us to normalize against that. It says, okay, IT, is that really the right way to measure it? HR, is that really the right way to measure it? And so because at the end of the day, we want to have actionable things that we can do. Um, and this helps us to have those kind of conversations across the board to, to start to normalize against, you know, our service performance and how we're doing those things. And so it, it stems some really good conversations because now everybody was bringing their kind of requirements to the table, the problems that they were trying to solve, realizing they're all very similar, but how do we start to measure those things in a consistent way so that way we really understand the associate experience. And I'm with you on the NPS. Here's my view. Here's my illustration for NPS and how it's misapplied in IT. You go to a sit-down restaurant, the waiter, and you get assigned a waiter, right? That waiter, if they gave, you gave them an NPS score, how are you going to compare them? You don't really have a choice to switch to groups. You can't go, no, I want to sit in that section with that person. But you can measure did they do their job well? Did they give you the right effort, the right level of service, the right attitudes? You can measure all that. And so I use that waiter analogy for NPS just to say it's misapplied in IT when there aren't other options. Does that seem reasonable? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, it's, and it's interesting because I think about like my day to day. So first off, I know everybody is, this is the standard way of working for everybody. So everybody's using some type of video conferencing system. Um, and I know for me, like, uh, you know, most recent one that I was using was Zoom. You know, as soon as you hang up off the call with Zoom, you know, the, what do they pop up for you? A thumbs up and a thumbs down, right? They want to know, how did you feel about this experience, right? They're not asking you to say, you know, would you recommend this? They're just, they, they just genuinely want to know, you know, what was your sentiment? How good was this? How bad was this? And so you're exactly right. I think, I think we need to think about that internally a little bit different. Again, NPS, great measure for external customers where they have choices, but to your point, when they don't have a choice, is that really the right measure to be looking at? Right, it's like a waiter. The, you know, the waiter, he or she gets tables dealt, they don't know who's coming in the door, but they have to do a great job. Right. And we're the, and that's how, anyway, that's my uh, analogy or list, illustration. So now let's dive a little bit nerdier, a little deeper. So how does a business view of the CMDB now look? Because you're a consumer and, uh, you know, a driver, a provider of it. So I'm going to say that um, I am thankful that I started off my service management career in IT um, <laughs> because it gave me purview to things like CMDB, so configuration management database, right? Um, and, you, you know, if, if, I, if I don't think if I had that experience beforehand, I would have really understand the value that that brings to an enterprise. And so I, I do think that one of the advantages I have in now being in the business and being enterprise service management is that my background, part of my background is in IT and, and does know a little bit of the technical side. The nice part is now I can work with my IT partner to help them fill the gaps on the CMDB side 
thinking about the CMDB from more of a business perspective. So I was fortunate enough um, that when we did our CMDB project at Red Hat, we actually took a business's approach to the CMDB. So, you know, historically CMDBs are typically built bottom up, right? It starts off with the lowest level of your infrastructure and then you work up to your applications. You know, the nice part is we realized the, the value of the CMDB or one of the big primary values of the CMDB was to really understand what is the potential business impact, right? When we're looking at our technology assets. Um, and so for me, that became really important because number one, it let me know what was the quality of um, the technology services that were ultimately enabling the business services. But number two, when we started to get into cost of services, right, understanding what the total cost of IT was that ultimately impacts the total cost of the business became really important. And that's where the CMDB for me became really important. And it's also really important now as we're having enterprise level conversations around new sets of technology that span multiple areas of the business, right? And so being able to rely on your CMDB, all the list of all your assets, being able to you know, look at your application portfolio, which tied to your CMDB, um, really becomes beneficial because now you can make more strategic long-term decisions around where you wanna invest from a technology perspective to enable your business services, ultimately enabling your business capabilities. And so um, I'm grateful I would say the CMDB is a is an is a is a foundational thing. Like it is, it is truly the concrete when you're building your house. And so, again, just very fortunate that starting off in IT, I understand the importance of it. I think if I had started off in the business, I wouldn't have understood the importance of the CMDB. Um, so yes, I I do think that that is the foundational thing that sets you up for long-term success if you've done that well. So two things you said that resonate with me. First of all, I'm a top-down CMDB person only because, and here's why, and it's very transparent, because it costs you more to keep it time, money, resources for granularity going down. So if you, can't, if you start at the bottom, you're going to be super granular, maybe for no reason. And maybe you'll be more granular in some areas and less in others. Yeah. In addition, the other thing that resonated with me is when you talk about services. I see services also top down as a finesse, as a thing that really takes some skill. And I see too many out there, and we've talked about it in previous podcasts, that think that services is flip on technology and let it go find that. And like in your area where every year incorporating so many areas of the business, there's no way technology would be able to do that on its own. And so, uh, Anyway, those two were really interesting to me because of the top-down approach. I just see that too frequently. And uh, I mean, the bottom-up and not that top-down big picture view. How, so follow-up question. How, how has it been having those conversations with your other business partners? So explaining a CMDB to HR people or facilities or whomever, how's that been? Yeah, I think it. I think it depends on who the business customer was. So I, I can I can speak. Haven't brought this conversation too much up at PepsiCo, but I can speak to past life um, at Red Hat, and it depends on who the person was. So fortunately, I had some pretty pretty sharp people in the business, uh, and I'll give you an example. There was one person in particular who really understood the value of of the CMDB because they understood that if they were making, you know, um, system changes that ultimately impact the business. How could we let, how could they become more aware of when those changes were going into effect uh, and what they were doing? And so, and then especially when we started tying it to 
more strategic conversations around, you know, what is the portfolio of technologies that we have and what is the cost of those? And again, those tie back to the CMDB, uh, but then also them understanding, you know, when we make system changes, like why, you know, why do things go down? And so it's just, it, I think we talk about this pretty often. Um, uh, well, I mean, you hear it all the time in the, in, in the world that every company is now a technology company, whether they want to be a technology company or not, they're a technology company. And so I do think there's a little bit of the business rolling up their sleeves and understanding a little bit more of how technology works. And this is an example of where, you know, if you have the right people that can translate this business speak to technology speak, um, it helps them understand, you know, why IT needs to do what IT needs to do to empower the business and to move closer to the business. Um, so I would say it just depends. Some people really got it. Uh, I, I think you, if you can also translate it in some way or shape form to, to the way that they think about it, right? Like facilities does asset management. And so what you're explaining to them is this is a form of asset management, you know, just it's a technology asset management. And we have these things that are virtual machines that can live on lots of different hardware. And now we have a, you know, cloud and hybrid cloud obviously gets much more complicated in trying to explain to them. Um, but, but, but ultimately it, it does help them if they have a, a little bit of an understanding or at least you can talk to it talk to the technical side of IT in a business way to the business. I think that definitely helps. Right. And I, I probably told you this in our previous call or intro calls. I had a, I had a phone call from one of the big cloud providers. There's only a few. And they were like, how do I take the service management principles and apply them to facilities? Because if you're a cloud provider, having release and change and incidents, a great thing versus some other method. So you mentioned your start at Red Hat going down the service management path. How did that, because your background's not service management. How did you get down that path? Yeah, no, it's, it's unique. I will say, um, and, I've, and it's, it's been fun to talk about this a little bit at PepsiCo as I've been doing meet and greets and introductions. You know, I was very fortunate early in my career. I actually worked for a small logistics company and um, the owner of that company definitely had a very entrepreneurial mindset. And so just uh, very, very fortunate that I was able to take um, those principles and those values that he instilled in me. I mean, he very much, it, it, at the time it felt pretty hard, um, but now I'm very grateful for it because I, it's kind of like one of those tough love scenarios. Um, and so I think I've always brought a little bit of an entrepreneurial mindset to anything that I do, um, regardless of, of what company I work for or what you know functional area within the company I was in. And so I kind of always bring that to the table, but um, yeah, no, it wasn't necessarily something I was looking to get into, but there was an opportunity that came up at the Red Hat where we were looking to better define our services end to end. Um, I led that program, um, you know, with, with a couple of, of IT leaders as stakeholders and uh, towards the end of the program, I actually ended up taking over uh, the ServiceNow platform team was able to build out an ITSM team as well, um, started focusing on the ITOM team. And so kind of grew into it. Uh, but I, I, I think, you know, before I was even in IT, I was more on the business side in general. So I think I brought the business mentality and mindset. And so I think it just kind of became a very natural fit for me um, because I just tend to think about those things um, from that perspective anyways. But uh, again, it was just a, a great, great opportunity at Red, a great learning opportunity. And, um, you know, I think I just, I was fortunate enough to have um, uh, such a great team to work with that was able to, to work with my crazy vision for, hey, this is going to be bigger than just IT. This is bigger, um, 
you know, uh, this is this is an enterprise thing, especially because they had already gotten a number of functions onto the platform anyways, you know, just kind of, which was, a, which was a little bit of a blessing and a curse at the same time, because it wasn't really a direction, wasn't really a strategy, but I didn't have to go sell it because people were already doing it. Um, it was a matter of creating alignment, you know, creating a vision, creating a direction, and then building the strategies together. I think that's the one thing that I, that I learned through this process was, you know, it, number one, once you've established that unified kind of vision, mission, you know, direction, it's realizing that you need to empower that next level down to build the strategies on how to get there and let them own those strategies and let those strategies be a little fluid, right? Because, you know, new technology comes in. I think it's, again, I think this is, that's just a micro version of a macro, you know, thing that we're seeing, right? Where, where there are industries being disrupted and companies, you know, that had a certain strategy for years and years and years have to change their strategy tomorrow. I mean, COVID did that to everybody, right? I mean, where, where Uber did that to the taxi industry or the transportation, um, you know, where Amazon did that to the, you know, retail market, uh, COVID's done that for everybody. And so I, I, I'm a big fan of in, um, in having leadership set vision direction, you know, letting their teams be up at the table as that's happening so they understand why that's the vision, that's the mission, that's the direct, you know, the, the direction, but then really enabling them to come up with their strategies and figure out, you know, how can we do that? And then looking at those strategies and saying more frequently, right? Like it's not, you can't look at that and say, that's our five-year strategy or that's our, you know, it, you can't really look at it and say, is that our one-year strategy, right? At, at some point you got to kind of look, I'm, I'm a fan of breaking these down using agile and looking at things quarterly and saying, are we still doing the right things this quarter? Are we focused on the right things the next quarter? And, you know, having a little bit of an 18 month, you know, runway to look at that stuff, but being, you know, flexible enough to, to realize what our current strategy is might not be the same strategy, you know, six, nine months from now. Think about this. And this one came up in another one of our podcasts was let's say it's February of 2020 and you have a 10 month project and you want to do a waterfall and you have all your ducks in a row and you have your technology and your people and your location all set. And now COVID hits and you have two weeks to scramble and maybe less than that. And now you have to alter course because the part that's missing is the needs of your business customer. Those needs have changed. Their roadmaps have changed. So now how do you align what you're doing to them? Does that resonate with you a little bit? Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the part that I'm excited to, about is learning what that looks like at PepsiCo. PepsiCo being a, you know, a different industry than Red Hat, you know, PepsiCo being on the, you know, the beverage side and, and the other products. I mean, the, the nice part of PepsiCo is into a lot of different products. They're also diving into sustainability, which I think is really cool uh, versus a technology company. Um, I think technology companies tend to be pretty fluid, pretty flexible. It's just kind of in the nature of building technology products. Um, but it's been, it's pretty exciting to figure out or to see how PepsiCo is trying to apply a lot of those same principles to how they run their business. Um, and really to understand the direction that the customers are going, where the industry is going, but then also, you know, how can, how can they be a little disruptive, right? How can they introduce new things that aren't quite um, the same that they've been doing for, for, you know, uh, you know, decades. So, um, but yeah, that's, and that's, and that's ultimately, again, what we're trying to do internally is, is realize that, you know, even how we run our businesses can get disrupted, you know, uh, a couple months from now, 
And so how are we thinking about those strategies, right? I mean, <clears throat> a, great, a great one for every company is, hey, what is your, what is your virtual onboarding, you know, uh, experience look like? Because if you didn't have one before, um, you're, you have to have one now, whether you wanted to or not, you had to have one now. Um, and that's a great example of where, you know, if a company wasn't thinking about what their, you know, uh, virtual onboarding experience looks like, you've got to focus on it now. And you'll have to focus on it moving forward. Right. And then talk about variables, info, security change, risk, risk assessments, risk management change, business continuity changes, because instead of worrying about those people sitting in the office, now you're worried about 100 people sitting in 100 different parts. And uh, not to get on a business continuity topic, but you have to think Pacific Northwest or down south where the hurricanes came through, Pacific Northwest with the fires, you send everybody home and now you have another event that may displace them from that home. And so it's layered on layered and business needs change. So you mentioned something I want to, it kind of chuckled me a little bit. You went from a software provider, open source, to a soft drink provider, right? And yeah. so among other things, PepsiCo is much bigger than people realize. I mean, at one time they owned the Pizza Huts, they, you know, they're, it's a big company. But going from software to soft drinks kind of chuckles me. How are those two industries and how you do enterprise service management, how are they different? Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's a really good one. Um, so I will say, um, you know, prior to even working at um, Red Hat in a technology company, I was actually in banking at Financial Institute. So I went from that to technology, which, is, which was a big change, big jump. Um, you know, I, I'm definitely extremely, you know, fortunate and grateful to have worked for Red Hat. I think, you know, one of the things that I appreciate about Red Hat, number one, it's a, it was an open source technology. So um, the, the open source principles that you see when it comes to, you know, uh, how they develop their products were, were infused into the way the, the company ran. It was, they were infused into the culture of Red Hat. And so I was very fortunate in that that definitely, you know, um, started to, to reshape my leadership style and reshape the way that I approached working with teams, working with business partners, um, just because the, the realization of, of how taking an open approach to doing these things, taking a transparent approach, you know, still having accountability, still having responsibility, um, but, you know, really thinking about the way that you run an organization from a culture perspective, uh, I'm, I'm forever grateful for Red Hat for that. Um, that said, it's also a bit of a challenge to work in IT for a company that also builds solutions, technology solutions, specifically for IT departments, um, and which was fun. Uh, it was challenging. Uh, there were times where, you know, certain people would, would look at us and be like, what are you doing inside of IT? And, and IT is trying to say, hey, well, you know, we're not just supporting the technology side. We're also supporting the HR side. We're also supporting the finance side. And, um, you know, so it was, it was very interesting. And, and then again, you had to be very transparent about the decisions that you made. And, and you know, one of the things that we, we tried to do was say, hey, can we use open source technology at, as much as possible? Because we want to advocate for that. We think it's a great way, if not the best way to build, you know, technology solutions. And so um, it was very unique. It was very challenging. Uh, but I, but I think that that challenge definitely again shaped me who I am, how I think. And so um, taking that now over to PepsiCo, you know, I think where that's helped me the most is more on, you know, how we're going to manage through 
the transformation we want to make um, as we go down the enterprise service management journey, right? Because um, Red Hat, from a culture and a technology perspective, you know, you had to be open, you had to, you know, communicate, you had to let people be a part of the conversation, have a seat at the table, you know, um, do things quickly. You know, you want to fail early, fail often, as opposed to failing way late down the road and realize that there's something really bad that ultimately throws a wrench in your foundation. Um, so, so I think that's, that's the thing that I'm grateful for that I get to take to Red Hat to PepsiCo is, is those leadership principles that were established in me. Um, using those now at PepsiCo, um, I will say it is, it is a bit different, right, in that the way PepsiCo obviously makes money is different. And so I think that's the part that has been, it's been a little bit fun and challenging to learn, which is, you know, what are the most important business drivers for the organization? Because what those were at Red Hat are definitely different than what they are at PepsiCo. And so that obviously influences what we focus on from an enterprise service management, because we want to focus on the things that we believe add the most value to the business that ultimately add the most value to our customers who purchase, you know, PepsiCo products. And so I think that's the one thing that is, is quite a bit different is, is figuring out what are those right areas within the organization to focus on um, that create the best business outcomes that ultimately create the best, you know, products and solutions for our customers. Right. Because I see way too frequently IT wanting to do things because it's cool, it's neat, yeah. it's new technology. And that's why I mentioned this on our last week's podcast with Kevin, is that in five years from now, I don't see a delineation between IT and the business. We're moving in such a direction, and it could be because of IT outsourcing, it could be because of anything, where those are going to be married. And, you know, we're going to have the same goals, strategies, alignment. We're going to share the costs. We're going to share all of that sort of thing. And so that's <laughs> saying, you know, Red Hat was interesting because it's IT for IT, and now you are an enterprise business side at PepsiCo. What, what's your take on that thought? Yeah, so I, so it's interesting. So if I, if I think about kind of where enterprise service management might even be from five years from now, I think it's a, um, I think it's it's different, right? So I think when when most people think about enterprise service management, the primary focus today is more around the integrated support and delivery of the services, right? So when we think about, again, HR, IT, facilities, finance, um, marketing, it's about um, delivering, uh, defining and delivering uh, those services in a real-world consumerized way to the associates. And, but to me, that's actually just one dimension of service management. And I think what you're going to see enterprise service management really evolve into is, is really the enterprise operating model. It's going to become how the business that sells runs. Um, and I think, you know, because of the introduction of, you know, certain technologies, I mean, ServiceNow is a great example of how they're pushing the envelope, you know, trying to be the platform for other platforms. That that's what's causing this conversation to happen. But when I think about enterprise service management, you know, I think about all the things that go into that. Number one, you know, what is your service and what is the direction of your service, right? Who consumes it? Then you have to think about how you market your service. Then you have to think about, um, you know, the cost of your service, how do you deliver your service, right? How are you using data and analytics to make changes to your service? Um, and then how are you doing that in an integrated fashion? So that way, you know, how, so you feel like an Amazon, right? So you don't feel like you have to have five or six different separate places for people to go to consume these things. Um, and so I think that's, that's really the direction of enterprise service management. I think enterprise service management is looking across the different functions and services of the organization 
and really empowering them to think with an entrepreneurial mindset, but delivering these cross-functional you know, capabilities so they don't have to invent them themselves. They don't have to invent how to do catalog management. They don't have to invent you know, how to do you know, knowledge management or you know, support. They have something that they can plug into. So when they think about their specific business capability or their specific service, they really get to focus on the strategy and where do we take that because they've got all of these kind of supporting activities that are happening that are enabling them to really focus on those things, including things like, you know, total cost of your service, right? Thinking like a CFO for your service. And so <clears throat> I think five years from now, that's really going to be the conversation around enterprise service management is how are we enabling the operating model of the organization, looking through all the different lenses when, it, uh, when you think about delivering your service end to end. And then also really tying those into the, into the kind of the global business or the global processes, right? When we think about procure to pay, when we think about, you know, quote to cash, onboarding, right? Or hire to retire, the larger one, you know, now you're, now you're not only you thinking about the, the individual delivery of the service or the individual delivery of the business capability, but you're actually thinking about, you know, those things that run across the organization and how do you plug into those and then how are we making bigger changes on those things? And so I think, um, I think some companies are already having those conversations today. Um, but I think just like three years ago, you know, enterprise service, three, four years ago, enterprise service management was kind of a new thing and it's becoming more prevalent. I think about five years from now, people are really going to be thinking about enterprise service management of how do I run my entire enterprise? Oh, yeah. And I think you hit on it with the operating model thought process because it gets into those topics we talked about earlier, the governance, the chargebacks. But there's one piece in there that I think also helps is the common language, right? We don't have yes. an IT language and a, you mentioned HR language or a procurement. And it also allows us, you know, I think of software asset management, that end-to-end loop where you know, your, your short licenses, do you harvest those licenses for somebody else or do you have that integrated into your procurement to go purchase a license and everybody is so seamless or hardware asset management with, uh, you know, just in time uh, shipping from your vendors. I mean, it's a operating model as you put it and uh, you know, the common language of bringing people together. I also think, just my opinion, that it'll save organizations a lot of money. Yeah, because the governance is redundant, uh, risk assessment or risk management is redundant, and so it's gonna it's gonna raise that level of the water for all boats, but it's also gonna give them a core competency to judge across the environment or the enterprise. Yeah, no, I think <clears throat> I think you're absolutely right on that one, right? I think it, it creates that scalability and those efficiencies and those you know from a cost perspective as well too, but still empowers you know, people to be innovative, people to be entrepreneurial, people to think about what is the next best way to deliver performance management? You know, what is the best next way to do, you know, procurement, right? What is the best next way to do travel and expense based on real world experiences? And so it gives them the ability with that efficiency, you know, with those efficiencies and scalabilities to reinvest in the innovative side of this because the better that we can run as an organization, the more time that we get to spend on innovating our products and our services for our customers um, and the things that we're doing. So, and I agree with you 100%. But, and I also agree with you the fact that I think along this journey to your point, IT gets closer to the business. And there's like definitely this 
you know, if one is blue and one is green, all of a sudden you have this very blended color in between. I mean, the, the whole concept of DevOps or DevSecOps of, you know, having the business, you know, be some type of a product owner, you know, and having them work directly with the development team so that the development team is working on the things that the product owner thinks are going to add the most value as quickly as possible. Um, you know, I think, I think that is part of what's going to either um, allow companies to accelerate to kind of this, um, this world where ESM potentially becomes your operating model or it's going to hinder it because you as an IT organization haven't really figured out how to get closer to the business, how to speak the language of the business um, and really how to focus on And then, you know, the unique, again, the unique part about IT is that they see all the business, right? They, because, because everybody has to use IT because everybody's using technology to run their business. Um, so I think there's a big opportunity there. Yes. And so a couple questions to tidy up. So COVID's impacted everything. And we talked about it briefly along this. So it's impacted, I'm sure, Red Hat because of the demand and also changes some of their models. In PepsiCo, I'm sure it's changed because people buy, I'm using a very generic, very weak example. They buy more two liters at the grocery store and less uh, soda in a restaurant, right? You know, it's changed. So how's that impacted your enterprise service management? Yeah, um, well, it was interesting. At, at, at Red Hat, it, um, it definitely started to help us in some of the conversations because we started having some of those scalability and efficiency conversations, and we realized that there were definitely opportunities there. Um, and I think that's ultimately part of the big sell and reason for uh, the global business services at PepsiCo and then enterprise service management as, as a part of that is really to create you know, the, that scalability and those efficiencies. And so, um, you know, still fairly new, still kind of learning the landscape, kind of learning what everybody's priorities are, what they think the most important thing is. But, but I do think that that's the, the value prop of what, of what we're doing from enterprise service management, specifically to things like COVID, right, where, you know, it, it did disrupt the way everybody works. And so how do we know that we're working on, you know, the right things? And I think that's also really what um, COVID has done to a lot of organizations is highlighted um, our, you know, there's a lot of things that we could be working on. We can all be very, very, very busy. You know, there's all, I felt, I definitely felt busier when I first got until, you know, you kind of learned the balance. But I think part of what this has done is, is really, you know, companies have, have had to say, how do we figure out what are the right things to work on? Um, and I think enterprise service management is one of those areas that helps provide solutions to that question. Um, and how we say, you know, how well are we doing as a company? Um, and where do we need to focus on? Where do we need to prioritize? And so I think that's the one good thing about enterprise that of uh, that's come out of this very you know unique situation that we're in is that uh, um, service manager enterprise service management really has become an opportunity to become a solution to some of those questions. And it because with COVID, all the variables have changed. I mean, let's just call it like it is. All the variables have changed, so it allows us to see things through new eyes, right? And reprioritize because our business customers. So last question, I end most podcasts with this question. If you were given a blank check, and I know you're new to your role, so this is, I don't mean it to be a setup like, you know, you were at, assuming you were at Red Hat and been there for a few years, but you had the resources. Which part of your enterprise service management uh, group or program would you invest in? Because you say, 
you know, I know that investing in X will always or usually uh, return, you know, profit or results. Yeah, no, <clears throat> that's a good question. Um, for me, the, the I would invest in the, the team that's most ready, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's the way that I would look at it to say because part of part of what you're trying to do with enterprise service management it's a little bit of a uh, it's a little bit of a momentum thing right because it's not something that is thought about by every organization everywhere not everybody's doing it um, and so for me um, where I would want to invest is the partners that are ready to go um, and so that's the way that I would approach it because because to me it's once you gain that traction. Once you can show that you can do this um, cross-functionally, so let's let's the the one that seems to be popping up the most frequently if you look across the industries is IT in partnership with HR. Yep. Right. But the great part is that you know if you're an associate within the organization, every associate deals with HR and every associate deals with IT. And so once you show the value in two, um, you know, functions departments within the organization providing a shared experience, right? A shared vision, a shared direction, a shared strategy on how to get there. I think that's what gains the traction. So if I had an open checkbook, the person that, or the group or the way that I would spend the money is I would spend it on whoever that next business partner that was excited and ready to do it, right? That saw the value and wanted to get, you know, on board with the train and where it was going. Um, that's what I would go after because it's it's one of those things that there are so many places you could invest. There's so many different technologies out there. There's a couple of really good technologies that are out there. Um, but but I look at it as a people process technology thing and, and it's technology, you can solve, process, you know, those are fine, we can solve, it's people. And so I would just go after the, I would go after the team that's ready, right? That, that wants to actually, is excited about it and wants to do it. That's a great uh, perspective. And here's why when you're talking about that, I was processing, you know, everybody talks and you're processing it. And I was thinking to myself, that's a great perspective, A. And B, it's because you have somebody that's anxious for your services and it allows you to work out the bugs and, yep. and understand how strong is my team, my process, and my technology. Because these people are going to be willing to give you feedback to help you now improve for your next business customer. Absolutely. So, so great. Yeah, no, that's, 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 that's a, that's a, that's a great point. Great perspective on it. Right. Number one, they become a partner with you. Right. And to your point, I think, you know, again, wearing my old it hat, I always loved a business partner that knew directionally where we were going in the strategy and wanted to help us get there. And again, red hat, you know, you want to do things fast. You want to do things open, right. They wanted to contribute and, you know, fail early, but then figure out how to fix it, have a retro, do something and, and solve it. The other part too is they also become, you know, a, a promoter of your service. So this truly is where maybe an NPS comes in to say, "Hey, I really think what we're doing at an enterprise service management level really can revolutionize your functional area within the organization." You know, and 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 they become, you know, <clears throat> tons of stu tons of studies out there on, on what's the best marketing, and you know, that's why NPS is so important for organizations because word of mouth, you know. Uh, family member to family member, right? That's the best way um, to sell your product and to advertise. And so, I, so again, that's part of why I would go after the person who's most eager to do it and deliver something really, really good for them. So that way they become 
uh, a great partner in the journey, but then also a great partner afterwards advocating for you. Having an advocate. So I'll leave you with this uh, perspective. So I'm a big uh, football fan. And a few guests ago, we had Jim Ryan, CEO of Flexair. He's a huge Green Bay Packers fan, for those that did not know. So Jim, if you're listening to this, you'll get this. So former general manager of the Packers, a guy named Andrew Brandt, he's gone, he now he's a, does a lot of sports law, was an agent. He had this theory, and I'm adapting it to this, that when you, when you start something new, you have three groups of people. You have the ones that are excited for the change, the ones that are moderate for the change, and the ones that resist change. And he said, the ones that you, everybody tries to go after is that third group that are resisting change. And he's like, no, you should be investing in that first group and having it work down because pretty soon those that are holding out look like they look like buffoons because why are they holding out when everybody else is for it? And that's, that made me think from your, uh, your point of view there that whenever we're taking over something and we're trying to create change, we need to figure out what's our strong base. You know, where do we... Where do we uh, win and where can we win in the future? So yeah, that's, that's, that's a great one. Anyway, it's sorry, I'm a sports guy. For those of you listening, yeah, I'm, yeah, a sports guy. I, I'm, a, I'm a big, yeah, it definitely made me, you know, think about some other examples of that. But yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. And that's, I'm a fan of that. Let's, let's partner with the people that are excited and, and, and actually want to, you know, kind of go conquer that same thing together. Oh, yes. And hopefully you pick up bandwagoners on the way. So, yes. Joe, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's been a great conversation. It's gone by quickly. Uh, any parting thoughts before uh, we let you go? No, that, I mean, I, I mean, <clears throat> well, I guess I would say, um, you know, just, just remember that this is a journey. It's not a sprint um, and that it's, it's something that takes time. And it's, it's definitely a people, um, um, a people, people effort in, in how you're doing this. And so I think focusing on the right people and focusing on, those things has is, is, is been invaluable for me when I think about this. But uh, no, Jeffrey, just want to say thank you. This has been a great conversation. I've really, really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll stay connected on LinkedIn and take care. We'll be back with Jeffrey's closing thoughts. Hello, everyone. We're back with some closing thoughts. We think, first of all, Thank Joe for his time, and I know he's a busy, busy guy leading this, this big effort at PepsiCo. So we thank Joe uh, for taking time to join us. But I want to get into some really fun things, and partly we at Service Management Leadership can help your organization in this area, so we want to make sure we tell you that off the, off the front end. But there's some interesting aspects to our conversation with Joe. First of all, as service management moves from IT to enterprise, that's a big paradigm shift, big culture shift. And we need to think about why. So you, you have this IT-centric view, and now it includes HR, facilities, and all these other areas, especially in Think in hospitals and hotels and all these areas where the configuration items, the assets look totally, totally different. So we have this technology that's growing throughout an enterprise. We need to include service management in all those ways. Makes sense, I hope. 
But let's look at some of the aspects that we talked to Joe about. To have this enterprise view, it helps you with chargebacks because we want to make sure the business, the consumers are paying for what they're using. Sounds great. We also want to have governance. We want to be able to, whether it's regulatory or another way to have governance over this technology that's being used throughout the enterprise. We also want to focus on our customer experience, don't we all? I know too many organizations that have an IT-centric view, which ignores, foregoes the customer experience of using your IT services. In the one layer I want to, so also you have escalations, you have service levels, but the one way that this is super, super important, and I want to close on this, is the more you have outsourced, the more your IT organization is splintered from on-prem to cloud to service providers to the whole gambit. The more that is, the more you need an, an enterprise service management program. Think of it this way. There are many organizations that are outsourcing 50% to all of their IT organization. So who should own service management? Of course, it should be a non-IT entity because if it was IT, you get into this, and I apologize if it's a U.S.-centric term, but you get where the fox is counting the chickens, and that's not independent governance. And that's what we've seen in our practice. We've seen them in many organizations. And so we at Service Management Leadership can help you from the thought and strategy, design, implementation, how to operate and how to govern it, this, this model. And so reach out to us if we can help you, especially as you're looking at how do we move our service management organization, our program to an enterprise viewpoint. This is Jeffrey T. Fertiller. Once again, to, we appreciate Joe's uh, appearance on this podcast and we uh, hope that he just knocks out of the park at PepsiCo. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Let me know if uh, there's something I can do for you and feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Have a, have a great, great day.